Hello and welcome to Never Seen It. This is a podcast about movies that we haven't seen yet. I'm your host today. My name is Betsy and with me, as always, is Trent. Hey, Betsy. Hiya, Trent. So today we're doing something a little bit different. Normally this is the part of the show where we do a little introduction and talk about the movie that we're about to watch But, as it happens, we were invited to a birthday party at a local theater where it was a mystery movie. Yeah. And since we didn't know what we were going to see, we weren't able to do an introduction. And as it turns out, the movie that we watched was one that neither of us had seen. Yeah. And happened to recently been added to our list of things we wanted to watch. So it worked out. So because of that, we are doing an episode with a little bit more of an unorthodox introduction because the movie we just watched already is Sunshine. So this movie came out in 2007. Neither of us had seen it up until, you know, 10 minutes or whatever ago it ended. (laughs) Uh And uh, we had not really heard of the movie. Had you heard of the movie? I had heard of it in so much that I knew it existed. (laughs) And only recently we were watching one of those, like, let's talk about our movies features. Chris Evans was doing a career retrospective on the GQ YouTube page, and he was talking about this movie. And up to this point, I don't think I, I had ever heard of it. Uh, but it looked really interesting. So we kind of put it on a short list, uh, to do eventually. So here it is. Today is eventually. (laughs) So guess what? This is the intro. I'm going to play the music and we'll be right back. And we're back. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) After a very long and strenuous time with which we watched the movie, definitely in that little blurp. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I got to get a little cheesy sometimes. Fair enough. But yes, we watched Sunshine, Mm -hmm. a movie neither of us had seen until today. Trent, what did you think of Sunshine? I thought it was pretty damn good up until the very, very end. (laughs) So this movie is interesting in that it is a space mission Mm -hmm. where our son is dying. Not not like our child, like the sun. Out in the, My son is dying. No. <laughs> the sun that warms our planet and keeps everything going and keeps us alive. Indeed. It is dying and they send a team of scientists to kickstart the sun with a giant nuclear bomb, basically. That part I knew. I knew that that was the essential plot. But where it goes a little bit different is that they basically turn it into a horror movie in the last 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah, this turned into a completely different movie. Which I didn't hate. I actually think it was kind of clever because they're being very self-referential throughout. Like any good movie, everything you see has significance. Mm -hmm. The dialogue has significance. And when they go on to the other Icarus, the Icarus 1, they say some crack about alien. Like, oh, if we separate, we're all going to get picked off one by one. Which is exactly what happens. But instead of being an alien... It is the captain from the other ship yeah, who is somehow miraculously still alive, but is clearly not in his right mind. Oh, he's crazy. He's very crazy. So yeah, I also liked this one, but I know the director, Danny Boyle. Yes. And I've seen a number of his movies and I've enjoyed them. We also really like this writer. So the person who wrote this is Alex Garland, who also wrote Ex Machina and Annihilation. Indeed. So Trent, this guy knows how to write a sci-fi movie. He really does. And we've only ever watched uh, Annihilation once. And I really enjoyed it, but I just, I've, I've not been able to bring myself to watch it again because I don't, I don't want to spoil it almost because the initial time that we watched it, I was just blown away and like by sitting down and maybe analyzing it, like we do a movie like this, maybe it's going to lose a little bit of its luster. But Ex Machina, I've seen probably two or three times, and I like it more and more every time I watch it. It's one of those where we saw the trailer and we're like, okay, that looks interesting. Sure. And we heard good things about it, and then we went and saw it and we were like, whoa. Yeah. What the fuck? And with with Annihilation, it was all word of mouth. Like, that movie, it was kind of like everything ever all at once where everybody was just raving about it when they were going to see it in the movie but it just wasn't getting a whole lot of traction at the box office and like annihilation kind of bombed 
I don't actually remember how that one did. I think it was well-received, but it's a sure. really hard movie to sell to people without yeah. giving away too much. Totally. And a, like this one, it has kind of like a turn where it gets very dark very quickly. Yeah. But in that movie, they reach that point a lot faster than in this one. I mean, this writer definitely has a style. Yes. Where you have kind of a normal setup and like with Annihilation, there's a crew of people who are going out to do a thing. They have a mission and they're going out to do a thing. But by the end, everything kind of is revealed and there's basically nobody left. Well, and with a movie like this, you've seen versions of this. Totally. You've got the crew out in space. They have a very specific mission. Mm -hmm. And this is a crew that is very mission oriented. Like there are times where they are faced with really drastic decisions. But instead of taking the route of I'm a human being and want to follow my human base instinct, yeah. they actually are pursuing the no, this is more important. Yeah. The mission is more important. We are out to save the planet, yeah. all of humanity. Yeah. Chris Evans lays down the law a couple of different times to say, what are you talking about? We have a mission to do. We have to save all of humanity. If he has to die, he has to die. And that ultimately... Even though they they find an argument to do it because it's just a numbers game. Like, it's not about a rescue mission. We're not mm -hmm. going to go and save this crew. We, yeah. we don't need to do that. But, but if the ship is intact, it has the supplies we need, yeah. the things we need, we can double our chances of a success rate. Mm -hmm. So they weigh their options. They decide to do it. And, of course, by doing that, even though they took the scientific response... It's the same result as if they had had the human response. If their response had simply been, we have to save them because they're, they're on... There's a possibility, there's a they, possibility might be alive. they might be alive. Yeah. If they had gone down that road, this would have gone exactly the same way. I mean, it's the same kind of story as in Interstellar. The Anne Hathaway character wants to go after one certain place because she had a pre-existing relationship with that person even though like she could come up with all of these different scientific reasons to go there in reality she wants to go there because she has a personal love connection there her motivation was not in the right place it was yeah. all very selfish yeah. and yes there was some scientific merit to going to this place but that's not why she wanted to go there indeed, indeed. and in this movie they all have that moment of shit wow that that signal is going. The ship is still in at least enough of one piece mm -hmm. that the signal can be out there seven years later. And nobody knows because they're how many millions of miles away from planet Earth to sure. get to the sun. Sure. There's no way they'd be able to contact anybody. There's no alien race out here saving them. But think about it. They've been out here for however many years on their way to the sun. They get any inkling that there's something different there's something else that they could possibly do other than this one mission of course as a human being you're going to jump at that chance and and try to find any excuse to deviate from the initial mission you're still gonna go off and do yeah yeah i'm gonna stop off at target i'm gonna stop <laughs> off at, at walmart get a but, starbucks <laughs> but really my main mission here is to go get starbucks i need a pumpkin spice <laughs> stat <laughs> yeah you get what i'm saying though after all this time, you have some kind of hope. And you just had something tragic happen. You had the all of your oxygen plants completely get incinerated. But that's what I'm saying. None of that would have happened if they hadn't deviated from the plan. You're right. If they had stayed on the trajectory, if they had never, even if they had intercepted the signal. Yeah. Even if, I mean, it's Wong's fault, really. It is. <laughs> it is, and it isn't, because he, so... Harvey intercepted the signal. He's the one that brought it to their attention. Yes. So he could be blamed for bringing it up at all. He yeah. could have never said a word. Yeah. You've got Killian Murphy, who is the physicist who ultimately makes the decision mm -hmm. because he says in a numbers game, it's better to have twice the opportunity. And this is everything, like every little bit of explosive nuclear device that is on planet Earth has been scraped together for this mission. And they did it once and it was lost. Yeah. And they just now found it and now they have taken whatever's left. So this is a situation where it's better to just try it 
Yeah. And make that decision. But then it just keeps, it keeps snowballing from there because every person makes a choice that ends up causing more problems. And yeah, everybody, this is, I'm going back to all of the different things that happen here. Everybody's really, really good at their job and it just makes them that much more willing to make the leap to say, hey, I'm really good at uh, like intercepting this signal. If I wasn't good at my job, I wouldn't have seen it. Oh, Wong is really good at doing all the calculations to make sure that all of the other, like the thrusters and the fuel and everything else. complicated math. All that math gets done, but he forgets one stupid thing. Because he's a human. Because he's a human and he's good with numbers. He's not not good with the physics. He's not good with physical Logic. Yeah. (laughs) And Killian Murphy is good at all of the, the other kinds of physics stuff. He gets up to a point where the computer is helping him get to a point where everything after that becomes theoretical because you don't know exactly what's going to happen once you get into, I guess, the orbit of the sun. I don't know. It all becomes theoretical because that's all we have. Yeah, you've never done it before, so you have no data to go off No of. one's it's ever... It's just simulations. No one's ever been this close to the sun, yeah. let alone actually thrown something into it to try to blow it up and kickstart yeah. it again. Right, and you also have Michelle Yeoh on, on the, the ship, who is, I guess, a botanist. Hello. <laughs> Hello, uh, Matt Damon, stand-in. <laughs> um She's there, and if she can possibly get some of the supplies or some of the plants from the other place that is apparently self-sustaining, she can maybe transfer the stuff over there because they all have the hope. They all have the hope that they're going to make it home. And I think all of these different human emotions here make the movie much better than anything else. Because I remember when we watched Moon... And there was very, very little humanity to that. It was just kind of people going crazy. But that's the interesting approach in this movie is... It is. They are all coming at it from their own personal humanity, but they're sort of setting that aside, and they are all very mission-focused. You're right, like Chris Evans literally says, we're already fucked, blow it up. Like, when the lab sets on fire, he says the only way to put this thing out and give us a chance is to make it worse. Yeah, blow all the O2 tanks, Apollo 13 this shit, (laughs) and just make the fire go out faster. Right, and when they go over to the other ship and there's an explosion, they don't know how it happened. Mm -hmm. All they know is they're stuck on this ship and they have to get to that ship. And the only way to do it is, number one, very dangerous to begin with. And number two, somebody has to stay behind to blow it up to blow open the door to Mm -hmm. let them go so there's a lot of self-sacrifice there's a lot of logic it's just an interesting approach because usually the human emotion takes over and everybody has a meltdown and even at the worst moments in this movie as they're getting suspicious and paranoid and they don't know there is a fifth person on this ship who is sabotaging them stowaway even in their most extreme time, they don't end up turning on each other. Like, they still focus on the mission and do their jobs. Chris Evans freezes his ass off in coolant trying to get it going. Rose Byrne is off, like, trying to attack this guy who is trying to attack her, the Mark Strong character, mm-hmm. because she is facing death. Because her job at that point kind of becomes moot. She was like taking a nap. It was kind of a weird, like, I'm not sure what her job actually is. Is communications or something? Uh, no, that was the the, uh, the second captain. I think hers was like more pilot because she was in like the pilot seat a lot. Okay. So if there's like no maneuvers that have to happen, she's back in her bunk. Right. But then Killian Murphy, at the end of this, is bleeding. He is locked in this room and he has to get the payload delivered. Yep. And he blows up half of this section. He puts on a spacesuit, which they show earlier in the movie he fucking hates doing. It makes him panic a little bit. Mm -hmm. He has nightmares about falling into the sun. And he still manages to keep his shit together to complete the mission. Not to say anything about all of the other shit happening there. We'll get to that. No, but that's my point is... Through all of this nightmare scenario, you mm-hmm. know, they say the line from Alien, you know, in space, no one can hear you scream. There was no screaming. Nobody no. in this movie screamed. Nobody panicked. There was a half-melted, burned-skin, <laughs> insane captain running around trying to murder everybody. 
and all they do is fight back and complete the mission. That's fucking wild. Like I yeah. said, the last third is like a horror movie, and they somehow don't do all the things that people in horror movies do. I suppose. I mean, I should we just talk about the horror movie part of this? Because, hey, it's October, and, <laughs> and uh, we, we said we might have some bonus episodes. Here you, here you go. You got you got Repo Man, and you got Sunshine. <laughs> Not typical kinds of horror movies or October movies or whatever, but here you go. So, Mark Strong was the captain of the other, the other mission. What was that the called? The original crew, the Icarus One. Icarus One. So, kind of like in Armageddon, they send up two different teams that are going to land on two different parts of the asteroid. In this case, they get sent up, what, six or seven years apart? It's seven years difference, but they don't know what happened to the first one. All they know is... The sun hasn't been lit up, so clearly right. they failed. So clearly they failed. They haven't. They didn't really go into that. Not until they were actually on the ship and we got a little bit of detail as to the condition of the remaining bodies. Sure. So this guy has been up there for six and a half years. He went crazy. He burned all of his skin off. And I don't know whether or not... He forced the rest of the crew to get all burned the fuck up, or if the crew did it to themselves to get away from Mark Strong. I don't know. We don't, we will never know. It's not revealed to us. No. All we know is there are at least three bodies sitting on a bench, kind mm -hmm. of holding each other. Well, and that's the other thing. The, crew, the, the, the new crew doesn't know how many bodies to look for. No, it it could have been upwards of eight, I think, was on the mission of initially. Yeah. But, of course, while they're there, they're not looking for bodies. They're looking for whatever the things that they're that they're there for. But, of course, they're human. They want to know what, what's going on here. And I, I'll say this. I was kind of surprised at even myself because I have thoughts. Things enter my brain. I was thinking about skin cells during the course <laughs> of this movie. Well, they said it. Not because of what we saw later, but because, you know, in other space movies, they talk about all of the different, like, stuff. Like, if you go to the moon, you're expected to bring back rocks, moon rocks, space rocks. Oh, the rocks, weight of what you are taking and weight. leaving. Exactly. And when you calculate all of the different kinds of things that happen to a human body, you have waste that comes out of you in a couple of different places, but you don't think about all of your dead skin. And that, over time, it builds up. That's why on your shelf over there that you haven't dusted in two years, it's full of dust. That's your dead skin. Lift up your keyboard. You'll be horrified. <laughs> yeah. So think about that. My real question here is if Mark Strong doesn't have any skin left, which he clearly doesn't, and all of the other people are dead, where did all this dust come from? My assumption is because they have this observation deck where they can get upwards of 3.1% of the real blast of the sun, mm -hmm. the crew on the Icarus 1 gets the full blast. Yeah. And it basically blows them up, and in doing so, scatters their dusty oh. bits all over throughout the ship. Yeah, and I'm sure at, at one point that the ventilation systems in there were really good, but it wasn't meant to filter out skin cells and all the other bodily stuff. Not to that extent, you know. So it just They basically got coding. cremated. They got cremated yeah. instantaneously yeah. and scattered throughout the entire ship. I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> <laughs> well, then while we're on that, you've got Mark Strong... I figured he was going to be significant because they were showing him in the video log, the captain's log, if you will. Yeah. And you and I both recognize this actor. Sure. If it was nobody of any significance, it would have been some nobody actor. Yeah. But when he shows up, he's running around naked, insane, and his skin is just like crispy and cooked yeah and the the video artifacts on whatever they're watching are so bad you can't really make out what's happening but even in real life when he shows up 
Yeah. Danny Boyle goes out of his way to make sure you never get a really good look at this guy. No, because it's really, number one, it's really hard to uh, make that look good on screen because you have to basically make a skin suit for somebody. That guy had to sit through how many hours of makeup to not really be seen clearly in this movie. Yeah. But in the video stuff from before, Mark Strong, when he's normal looking, I didn't really get a whole lot of what he said, but it was something to the effect of when I look out out to the sun and whatever else, the the mission is, is kaput, but everything is so beautiful or something like that. Did you get any more of that? I mean, the vibe I got was he kind of stared into the abyss and the abyss stared back. Yeah. And he's going on about communing with God and how if the sun is going to die, then we all have to die. And he starts sabotaging shit to make sure it happens. Like, who are we to stand in God's way? Sure. Yeah. But then we also get the, the other one later where he's all fucked up. Well, and he's the one who reacts with the human response, even though yeah. it is the most extreme insane human response it is a human it response. is a human response versus all of the other people who maintain their scientific identity throughout all of this yeah i guess i mean wong was the guy who i'm gonna keep on calling him wong because that's the only thing we know well, him from it's also Except, his name <laughs> it is his name yes he's also in the martian as a as a nasa guy as a physics guy he's really good at playing science or science related roles because he's also... And metaphysical roles. Yeah. You know, magic, science, similar, <laughs> depending how you interpret it. There you go. But yeah, he blames himself for everything that happens. And I get that. And they put him on fucking suicide watch. And they immediately say, oh, it was him who sabotaged the airlock because who else would it be? Clearly, there's nobody from the first ship that is still alive. There's no indication that that is even possible. Well, and they don't even know how many bodies they're looking for. So even totally. if they had counted, they probably would have come up short. And they didn't have time to like look at the look at the entire log. Nope. Even if one existed. Right. They're just making a lot of assumptions in the limited time they were on that extra ship. Yeah. So here's a question: Did you notice that when they decide, okay? This this character, Trey, he's on suicide watch. Mm-hmm. We know that we need three people. We need three fewer people on this ship to right. have a chance with the oxygen. Right. When Chris Evans decides he's going to take care of it, he opens the drawer. Did you notice there were two gone? I did. I did. Yeah. So I figured something was up there because that's before the reveal. Do you think there is a possibility Mark Strong killed him? Or do you think he did kill himself? Oh, boy. I'm pretty sure he did it to himself. I think he probably did it to himself because I don't think that Mark Strong would have been in any kind of sound mind to stage a suicide. Fair enough. Okay. That's all I wanted to to know. To position the body in a way and like put on the the nice doves flying through the air to to, uh, calm yourself. On the holodeck. On the holodeck. They got fucking holodeck. They have a holodeck. (laughs) So we've talked about those two actors, but this is, I, I want to talk about this particularly. This movie came out in 2007. Yeah. Part of the reason one could argue this wasn't, I assume, a massive hit because neither of us had seen it. We were both familiar with it. I think this was right before Danny Boyle did Slumdog Millionaire. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. It was post uh, train spotting and other movies he had done. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he hadn't gotten like, oh, my God, it's Danny Boyle, the guy who did Slumdog Millionaire. But the people who were in this movie, arguably not that famous at the time this came out. At the time, definitely not, because 2007, this is before Iron Man. Right. So the MCU had not kicked off. Mm -hmm. So Chris Evans was vaguely famous. He had done the Fantastic Four. He had done a couple of other things that people knew him from. But nothing from, like, serious roles. Not on a major scale, certainly. Yeah. You had Killian Murphy, who had done a movie with Alex Garland before, because he also did 28 Days Later. But again, not a nationally renowned star. I think Batman Begins had already come out at this point. Yep. You've got Michelle Yeoh, who had a big international presence, but again, in America, nobody not a huge name. star. Yeah, nobody knew her name. She was in um, Crouching Tiger, right? Right. She had done that. She had done a Bond movie at this point. Oh, yeah. So it's not like she was an unknown actress. 
But when I was looking at this room of people all together, Rose Byrne is a baby. Like, I totally. would say of anybody, Rose Byrne was probably the least famous person in this entire bunch. I could barely even recognize her. She was so young. She's so young in this. <laughs> and you've got all of these people put in one place. Uh, the other guy, Cliff, I blanking on his last name. He was in Training Day. He was on Fear the Walking Dead. He's one of those guys that can play a lot of different oh. kinds of races. In the early 2000s, he played many yeah. different kinds Cliff of races. Curtis. Curtis, thank yeah. you. Yeah, those are the only other two things that I know him from, is Fear the Walking Dead and Training Day. He's the guy who takes uh, uh, Ethan Hawke's character into the bathtub <laughs> and is uh, pointing a shotgun at his face. Yes, he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're never going to forget that. So he was like the psychiatrist of the group because you're going to need somebody to try to treat people either in a, a psychological way or a medical way or whatever else because this is a very stressful trip, let's say. Well, and they had planned to come back. But they all knew there was a possibility they yeah. wouldn't. You gotta, you got to be able to deal with it. And did you also notice where... After the first fight with Chris Evans and Killian Murphy, Chris Evans comes in and has a session, but all of the entire crew members are able to witness this in real time. It is all broadcast. Was everybody watching it or just like I don't know the if crew, everybody like the I mean, head, the, like the captain and the what do you call the sec the first mate or whatever he's called? I thought it was everybody, but who it doesn't matter. I don't think it was everybody, but that's just me. I don't think everybody really cares, but just the fact that that was broadcast to other people. Like, this is not a private session because your mental health affects everybody else. So you need to buy into this thing yourself and everybody else needs to help you out with that. It's the problem of close quarters yes. combined with, you know, space travel and space high madness. stress. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, back to the cast. This ensemble together it's a really diverse group of actors. A lot of people that I wouldn't immediately think of in the same place just from what other products I've seen them in. Mm -hmm. But they're all really good in their own unique way. And the way that the story slowly unfolds and they sort of get picked off one by one for different reasons. Yeah, again, it is back to the horror portion of it where everybody's kind of getting picked off one by one by this guy or by the circumstances in which they find themselves because as you get closer to the to the goal, things have to start going wrong. Right. Because it's a movie. But if you watched a movie now with Chris Evans in it, you're like, well, Chris Evans has to be the one who makes it to the yeah, end, he's right? He's the hero, of he's course. He's the hero. But like you said, nobody here is super well-known you wouldn't expect anybody in particular to survive. We got two different captains who bite it early on in the movie. And by the end, there's really no like chain of command because once uh, Killian Murphy and Chris Evans come back, Chris Evans basically says, you know what? We're done with this. We're going to vote and it has to be unanimous in order for me to go and do this, even though he doesn't actually follow his own rule. <laughs> no. And then it's the two dudes kind of broing it out over different things. Like, yeah. you're, it's your fault. It's your fault. That is the only time they crack a little bit. And I love <laughs> the second time that they fight. Michelle Yeoh just kind of walks away nonchalantly. It's like, oh, you fucking boys. She was more upset about the fact that, you know, her life's work went up in flames. Right. Literally. And she's like, that's going on and this is what you're going to fight about. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, you guys are going to fucking die and this is what you're doing. Shut the fuck up and get to work. But I do want to talk about how this movie looks. Because I just mentioned, this is before Iron Man. This is before studios put a lot of money into CG and just visual effects in general. This looks modern. Like, you could make this movie today, and it wouldn't look any different. It's because they mostly do it practically. A lot of it is on a set. Yes. And most of the CG is the sun, or it's just like a black void behind the panels yeah, of the spaceship. It's space. It's like, space. They're modeling the ship and all of the different lighting effects and everything else. That's all CG. Of course it is. But... What I'm saying is that it looks very believable. Like, I bought them sitting in the uh, the observation booth, looking at the sun with the shade there and, like, turning it up to 2% or 3%. I Did you also notice that 
the Cliff Curtis character, he was getting a sunburn and his skin was peeling and he had like sores on his face. This guy he, has been in there a lot. Yeah. he. I, I think he, of all people, kind of gets the most fucked up in the head. Because number one, he's the one who chooses to stay behind on the ship that they visit. And choose to take the full, the full brunt of the sun. Did you also... G- were you also thinking about Infinity War? Oh, yes. Where, where Thor has to take the full strength of the sun? You're going to take the full strength. And uh, if I die... I'm, I'm a star. <laughs> It'll kill you only if I die. <laughs> I, was t- I was totally getting that. Oh, yeah. I definitely thought about that. No, I don't think that guy is insane at all. I think you have to consider the fact that you got one scene at the end of the movie of what it is like on planet Earth. And one can assume this has been going on for a while, that they have been trying to figure out why is the planet cooling? Why is the sun getting dimmer? Why is everything changing? Mm -hmm. It was seven years for that first mission. God knows how long it's been for this mission. It took how many years to prep the mission? Mm -hmm. So they've had years and years and years. One can assume that the people on this ship don't know what the warmth of the sun feels like. Yeah. So this guy presented with an observation deck that they can just sit and enjoy the warmth and the light. It's fucking novel. And as you get closer to the end of your mission, you start trying to up it a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. You don't care about getting a fucking sunburn because, hey, you're going to, you're probably not going to come back from this. Well, he doesn't know that yet, but... Even still, even still, once they complete their mission, if everything goes according to plan, you still may not come back. No, it's all theoretical. It's numbers. They're just really hoping they planned it correctly. All right, one thing I want to bring up that actually kind of bothered me about this movie, and it's just me being nitpicky because... If we're going the scientific route and we're going the literal route, it's the problem you brought up interstellar of gravity and time and perception of time. At the beginning of the movie, they're getting close to this kind of point of no return. So they say they've been in like hypersleep or something. Did they say that? I didn't even get that. Maybe not. They've been on this mission for a while. It takes a really long goddamn time to get to the sun. Uh And they hit a point where they won't be able to signal any messages back. And they knew it was going to happen because again, they figure, all right, we have this much radius. We don't have the equipment. It's going to not happen anymore. Yeah, just the radiation uh, emanating from the sun is going to fuck up whatever signals that you're going to try to send back. So do it now before we go beyond this point. So they are sending messages back home. And at the very end of the movie, we see Killian Murphy's sister standing there watching his last video saying... You know, there's going to be eight minutes for the light to travel. So if you notice in the morning, it's going to be particularly beautiful. And she's standing there, she's waiting, and then the sun brightens up. That's not how fucking time works when it's out in space. Also, this message is not traveling at the speed of light. No, you're, oh, say hello to the boys for me. Those boys would be 50 years old by now. Maybe. Maybe. Because the closer you get to the sun, there is an entire episode of Doctor Who. I'm going (laughs) down the nerd road. Oh, no. Where there is a spaceship being sucked into a black hole. And the gravity from the black hole at the bottom of the spaceship, time moves much faster. And then at the top of the spaceship, time moves much slower. And that philosophically applies to the sun. It is the largest gravitational force in our galaxy. And there are really goddamn close to it time wouldn't be that way that's all i'm saying i I don't i don't know maybe i have it backwards i don't know if time is affected by the sun i know that gravity though gravity is is, and the sun is a massive force of gravity it is but not as much as like a black hole i've seen interstellar i don't understand the end of it But I don't think that's what we're talking about here. I'm not a quantum physicist. (laughs) I don't know about space travel, but I do know that time and light and gravity are intertwined. Well, let's talk about the the space travel then. All right, let's talk about it. We have no idea how long they have been on this ship. 
all they have said is that it is a seven-year gap between when the first ship goes offline and this other crew goes out there. How long do they wait before they send up another thing? Is it instantaneous? Like, are they traveling at the speed of light in this craft? And they just shut it down, I don't know, a, a few days prior to that so they can get prepared? I, They never give that. No, they're not so worried about those specific details. But you and me being you and me, we want them. I want to know, how does this work? That's the thing. When you, th when you think about some other movies where they do explain it and they do do it practically, The Martian does it really, really well. Because they talk about how many souls there are, how many days that this guy is up there by himself. But they talk about the, the, the crew on the space station. It is going to take this many extra souls of Mark Watney being on Mars for them to come all the way back with supplies so that they can come and get him later. It is a much more satisfying explanation of the time that it takes for spacecraft to get places but in this movie you don't get that no at the beginning of the movie they might have said it but because it was a mystery movie for us i might not have been absorbing it because i was trying to figure out what the hell i was watching <laughs> uh, still. yeah that's the only thing that i was really if i want to be really nitpicky again it's just me being nitpicky maybe i have it backwards maybe less time has passed because they're by the sun i don't know all i know is for the time he would have sent the message to the time it gets back, plus the travel time and light and yeah, yeah, yeah. I have some questions. I have some gaps. <laughs> well, and talking about being nitpicky, I'm just going to start talking about the ending, ending of the movie then. I did not like how this was presented. Okay, the, the one thing I did like about it. When they're blurring out Mark Strong, when they're kind of blurring the, the, the edges of the screen so that you don't see everything, you kind of see that his face is fucked up, his skin is fucked up, but you never see his body in full focus. That I, that I appreciate it. But the action of them, like, traveling to where the bomb is isn't explained. I don't know how, like, the sequence of events where Killian Murphy is in this is locked in this airlock. Where does he go? How does he get there? Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> <laughs> all of this stuff, I don't get how that all happens. It all just kind of happens at once. So one thing I will tell you is Danny Boyle, if you've watched any of his other movies, which I don't even know if you have, because I guess we watched Train Spotting. We have seen Train Spotting, yes. He's a very frenetic director. But that's the thing though. The First part of the movie, up until that point, you got none of that. But when it turns into another kind of movie, you do. I did, yeah, yeah. I didn't hate it. I think I had less of a problem with it than you. It is definitely a turn, but I buy the turn. Like, what it is. Like, if it was an alien, suddenly it was an alien has, you know, taken over his body or something. Yeah. Or some other weird, inexplainable thing then I would have been more upset by it. But they had been hinting at it up to this point. Yeah. This guy was clearly a little bit nuts. Something bad happened on this ship. Yes, you don't see him when he boards their ship. But the reveal was really effective. Where, I agree. Where the computer is like, no, no, you're all going to be dead. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about, computer? Yeah. Do the math again. And she's like, no, five bodies. He says, four bodies. The other guy's dead. No, no, there's still five. Also, yeah, we don't know who the fifth guy is, but there's somebody else here. Yeah, and he's clearly very disturbed by this, as you would be. Sure, and I'm not saying anything against that. What I'm saying here is the, the, the presentation of the frantic nature of everything at the end, end, end of the movie. Do you mean Killian like when Murphy, they're in the room and it, like gravity when, gets weird? When they're in the airplane black box. And That's he, how I describe that that whole room. There were some interesting choices. I will give you that. There's some weird like freeze frames yeah. and cuts that are a little bit strange. And again, if you were to really dig into interpreting it, you might be able to say, well, we're getting so close to the sun. We don't know what's happening in the center of the sun. Maybe it's gravity. Like he falls down 
but then they're not falling. They are flat on the surface they need to be because there is no up. There is no down. Everything is everything. Yeah, when they pull out and you can see this giant fucking box that is just careening into the sun, of course it's going to be disorienting. But then by the end, when he's finally able to hook up all of his little doodads to the thing to turn it on, well, then it's fine. So that's not well explained. And the fact that, that like Killian Murphy and Mark Strong have kind of a fight and they peel his skin off and Rose Byrne is uh, somehow there and alive. I, it, ugh, I didn't like that. I think you're just mad that uh, Killian Murphy keeps blowing up big bombs. He keeps blowing <laughs> shit up. What the fuck, man? You know, I had the thought while I was watching this movie. Last year's best actress winner was Michelle Yeoh. Yep. Killian Murphy is sitting right now pretty well at the head of the pack. Wouldn't it be an interesting turn of events after watching this movie if she got to hand him that trophy? Because traditionally, that's how that works. It's true. We'll be sitting there thinking about sunshine if that happens. And then Chris Evans is next. Will he be there? <laughs> he just said he's going to kind of retire somewhat yeah. from acting. Yeah, he did. So I kind of doubt that'll be the case. But there's some good people in this movie, some good actors I like, I liked it. I liked it. I liked it too, despite the ending. Like I can, I, I can brush that off. Endings are hard. Endings are very hard. In a high concept movie, especially. Yeah. Well, like, you said, like Danny Boyle said, this is my first and last sci-fi movie. And I can imagine why. Sci-fi movies, number one, the fans of them are fucking insane because they wanted nitpick every little thing Shut like up, we are not, like we are <laughs> i mean we are sci-fi fans but we are not those kinds we don't know enough about the literal math and science and physics about yes. it to really be like um actually that's not how that would work right but i can understand him coming at this where he has to worry about all these little minute things that you would never have to do with you know making train spotting about heroin addicts <laughs> You know? No, he just gets to be frenetic and directing all of these wild cuts and shots. And he gets to do that in this movie, but it's very different. Very different than Train Spotting. Yeah. Very different than Slumdog Millionaire. All right. Well, Trent, do you have anything else you want to talk about? Uh, just a couple of more visual things. Uh, when they when they dock with the Icarus One, we have, what, like three or four different actors kind of boarding the ship. And there's no light in there, so they're all holding flashlights. But then as the flashlight is, like, going in front of the camera lens, it's, like, flashing on screen with a photo of a person. And in theory, these are the crew members of the Icarus One. Yes, you get just, like, a single frame. Yeah, Enough that your brain goes, frame. did I actually see something just now? Right. Like, the first one, I thought... Oh, maybe this is like a weird like mental thing. Maybe maybe this place is going to be like completely fucked up in in a way that is mental and not just, you know, the way like it is. Like annihilation where it's kinda, just like what the hell am I looking at? Kind of. Like it just completely turns into a different movie in a different way. <laughs> but it they just keep on going. They every time there's another flashlight uh flash, it's another person and another person and another person. It's subtle to the point you're not sure you're seeing it or you're not yeah. sure what you're seeing. But then you keep on seeing it and then, mm -hmm. oh, oh, this is what's happening. Well, These then, are human beings and that then are dead. later, he actually like brushes the dust off and there's the picture right. of the whole group cut to real footage of them as a crew getting that picture taken. And I know I just had this thought now. Do you think that this is maybe a subtle way of this crew dismissing the humanity of the other people on this ship and that they're, they're trying to remind themselves of they're on a mission here and I don't need to I don't need to see these other people's faces because if I see the faces that means that they, they were human and now they're dead and I have to have an emotion about that I'm sure because they want you the viewer as the person watching this movie to care about the crew yeah and that these were once normal people with normal jobs yeah and now they're fucking dust. Like, how do you get from here We're to all there? Stardust. And it's the question you asked. Did they do it to themselves? Mm -hmm. Did he do it to them? Did judging, they all go crazy? Judging from the way they're positioned, you have to assume they got there 
of their own volition. Yeah, it looked like they were kind of cuddling on the bench. Yeah, just like resting their heads on each other's shoulders and embracing yeah. while they make this really fucked up decision. Or they were there and Mark Strong turned the dial all the way up and they didn't have a choice. I don't know, they were but already either there. way, either way, you've already established that the entire ship is full of what is left of the crew. Mm-hmm. And the only way this group is going to get through this is if they remove that fact from their brains. Yeah. You know, Betsy, when I was in middle school, I had a teacher. Every single class I had with him, he reminded us that it's not that bad, guys. You're all just stardust anyway. And I remember that to this day. And now it has a different kind of meaning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One last thing was uh, the other captain, Harvey. uh, Captain number two. Captain number two, who's kind of a dick. He turns into kind of a dick because he wants to survive. I'm the captain now. I get to get into the to the nice uh, gold spacesuit, which I thought was awesome. Those were cool. They're very memorable spacesuits. Definitely. But they have to wrap themselves up in all this like mylar and launch themselves, like basically shotgun themselves from the old ship to the to the new ship. They're gonna die. So you can die. A slow and terrible death on this other ship, or mm-hmm. you can take your shot and hope for the best. And maybe get, you know, a little bit of uh, frostbite. Just a, just a tad. Just a little. Just a tad of frostbite. I saw Guardians 3. I know you can survive that. <laughs> <laughs> but after he fails, he starts floating off into space, getting progressively more frozen, and he his body hits one of the little pieces coming off of the ship, and there goes his arm and a bunch of, like, blood crystals, and it was really gory. That was the, the grossest thing in this movie, apart from Mark Strong's, you know, cooked flesh. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't even know how accurate that was, because as I understand it, you're not supposed to hold your breath when you're out in space because it just makes you explode or something? I don't remember. There's some problem with breathing in and out. You actually have to try to breathe even though there's no oxygen to breathe because if you hold it, it just creates a vacuum and pressure and your entire insides explode. Something horrible like that. Like you're supposed to completely empty your lungs before you go out into the void of space? I don't know. All I know is that's not a good situation. And the second he let go of Killian Murphy, you knew what was going to happen to him. Of course. And Betsy, I just hope that we never have to find out. No, I'm not going to space. No. We've probably talked about this before. I don't think so. I have an irrational fear Of space, because I've watched these too many times, these kinds of movies. Betsy had a real problem with gravity. I I don't enjoy that movie, not because it's a bad movie, but because that scenario Mm -hmm. freaks me out at such a deep level. Especially at the beginning of the movie where Sandra Bullock is just like... Spinning. Free-flowing, spinning everywhere, out of control. into oblivion. Yeah. Like, imagine that. You just spin... Into the nothing until your oxygen is out and you die. And you feel nothing because there's no air resistance out there. You just continue spinning. But if there's anything in your sight line, you'll see it getting smaller and smaller as you panic more and more. No, I don't want to go to space. (laughs) Okay, guys? Stop asking. So this truly was another (laughs) horror movie for Betsy. All of this was horror for me. Don't volunteer to do the spacewalk. Don't go out there and fix those shields. This is a bad idea. Also a really cool scene. But anyway, that's all I really had, Betsy. I did enjoy the movie very much. Thank you again, Blake, for allowing us to come to your birthday. Thank you for listening and for inviting us. And for listening and for inviting. You know, hey, we've always said, if you want us to watch a movie and cover it, Pay for the movie and we'll cover it. Or and invite this, us to your party. Uh, this, this, we'll cover, cover it. this covers that. <laughs> so there you go. Well, if you'd like us to come to your birthday party, you can email us that invitation at <laughs> neverseenitpod at gmail.com. If you don't have a party to invite us to, you could also just send us an email about one of our episodes, like our super fan Stephanie recently did about Hot Tub Time Machine. What? A natural fit for sunshine. She begins, I have seen this movie a whopping one time. Trent 2. That's that's all you really need. It is ridiculous. I am normally all in on dumb movies like this, but this one didn't really stick with me. I vaguely remember it being kind of funny. That is about the kindest that you could be to a movie like this. It is kind of funny. 
I vaguely remember it being kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) She continues, I agree that the recklessness is refreshing. They do not take any of the time travel rules seriously, which is fun. (laughs) Now she's talking about a scene in the movie. Don't listen to your siblings fuck. Gross. (laughs) Gross. I fully understand Trent's irrational dislike of John Cusack. Thank you. Although I do like John Cusack, he's fine in my book. I do actively and irrationally dislike Richard Gere. Here it comes. He is not attractive and seems super cocky. Stop trying to make Richard Gere romantic lead. Gross. Gross. The theme of this email is gross. You'll find that, yes. She continues, I've seen Sebastian Stan in a horror movie called Fresh. He is great. So captivating. Kind of have a crush now. As you should. He's a handsome devil. I would want to be friends with Lizzie Kaplan. Hell yeah. She she seems like a fun hang. Yeah. Why wasn't Joan Cusack in this movie? Damn it. They could have shown her older version. Yeah. Don't puke on squirrels. That's the lesson we took from this movie. If you haven't seen Hot Tub Time Machine, just don't puke on squirrels. Don't puke on squirrels. Finally, she says Craig Robinson is a great musician. He also seems like a fun hang. Anyway, love you guys from Superfan Stephanie. Thank you, Stephanie. Yes, that's another movie that deals with a lot of space and time, but they're not so concerned with the science as this one probably is. But thank you again, Stephanie, for that email. We would love to hear from you all about Sunshine, Hot Tub Time Machine, any of our movies that we've recently covered. We're in the middle of our Never Scream It series, so if you're a horror fan and know of those movies, please tell us about it. Then email again, neverseenitpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and we're now on Blue Sky, so find us over there. We don't post too much yet, but we're getting around to it. We'll get there. But most of all, we would love if you please review the show, rate us five stars on whatever app you are using to listen to podcasts, share our content, share the show with your friends. All of those things help. Yeah. And that is going to be it for Sunshine. Thank you again to Blake for inviting us because we had this on our list. We didn't know when we were going to get to it. We now had, we got to we it. We had no idea what this was going to be. Like, we were going in knowing it was an R-rated movie, and that was about it. That was about it. I mean, we, we could have thought, okay, it could be this, it could be that. It actually could be one of the movies that we're covering for Never Scream It, but I think it actually turned out better than what I we, we could have expected. Yeah, I enjoyed this one. But that's going to do it for this one. We are in the throes of Never Scream It, so come back on Sundays in the month of October for those episodes. We've got some other things lined up for the Wednesdays. In the meantime, this has been another episode of Never Seen It. My name is Betsy. And my name is Trent. And we will see you in space. See ya.